1: One When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast Whenever you say something, other people react to it Taking my breath away, Aaron Fern Lundquist joins me Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone Here we go Welcome in everybody, episode 7 24 of the podcast it is sweeping america the air tour sports podcast presented by betfred sportsbook it is monday june 19th 2023 people i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody had a great father's day weekend hope you got to spend time with your dad if you're a dad hope you got to spend time with your family happy father's day of course to my father back in connecticut and of course also happy father's day to my son jj reddick Yes, it's been exhausting being your daddy these last two years, J.J. Reddick, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to keep you in line. Yeah, I've been holding on to that one for a while, but here's what you need to know about today's show. I'll say this, jam-packed Monday Aaron Torres pod. So we're actually going to start with the John Morant suspension from the weekend. Um, I talked John Morant a few weeks ago. It feels good to just put a little bow on that, talk a little bit about John Morant, what happened there. Don't do a ton of NBA, but this feels like the right topic to hit. Well, we're talking NBA, maybe a quick minute or two on Bradley Beal to the Suns. I'm not crazy about it. And then from there, we'll get to the usual college hoop stuff. Bob Huggins, obviously we know about the situation there. What happened? Why I think he had to go. What's next for West Virginia? And also, an interesting hypothetical at Kentucky... They lost their starting center this weekend to injury. Should they pursue West Virginia's starting center, who may enter the transfer portal? Also, what's going to happen in the portal with West Virginia? And then finally, we'll wrap with a new twist on Big 12 realignment. I've been all over this, and there was a very, 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 very interesting story that came out this weekend. So a lot to discuss. Did not think we'd get a loaded Monday show quite like this on a Father's Day, you know, late June type situation, but here we are, loaded show, fun show. By the way, if you missed Friday, Eric Musselman, Arkansas coach, really fun interview with him, so make sure to check it out. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, you know, I'll be honest, we we don't talk a ton of NBA on this show, but whenever there's a big, wide-ranging topic that kind of encapsulates the world of sports, I always like to kind of discuss it because I think it's the, the the stuff that you guys and girls are discussing in with your friends and in your peer groups. And so a few weeks ago, when John Morant was caught on Instagram Live waving a gun uh, for the whole world to see, we talked a lot about it. What happened? What should the suspension be? Why does he keep doing this? All that good stuff. Well, on Friday... The official suspension came down and John Morant was hit with a 25 game suspension by the NBA. And what I will say is, I had a few of you reach out to me, Torres, what do you think? Torres, what should have been done? Is this right? Is this wrong? And I think something struck me as I thought about this suspension. I know you guys and girls come here for super hot, flaming hot sports takes when it comes to everything going on in the world of sports. This is one, though that I'm not positive that I have a super strong opinion about either way. And I can see those that say the 25 games is justified, but it shouldn't be more. And I can also see the people that say it should have absolutely been more than 25 games. For the people who say 25 games is more than enough, I get your argument. I actually do. Their argument is, listen, was what John Morant did really dumb? Yeah, it was really, really, really dumb. Was it stupid? Was it unacceptable? Is he putting himself at risk? Is he putting his friends at risk? Yes. Yes, 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 to all of them. But at the end of the day, what the NBA needs to be suspending him on is his behavior and his actions relative to the league's code of conduct and relative to legal matters. And the bottom line remains that John Morant broke zero laws by waving a gun on Instagram Live on his buddy's Instagram Live. And so if you didn't break any laws, and how about this? The second incident, he didn't even break the NBA's code of conduct. Now, the first time you can't bring guns on team planes and this and that. So, you know, they did an investigation and they're not really sure. But the bottom line is he probably broke the league's code of conduct. This time he did not break the league's code of conduct. He was, as you know, we believe to be in Memphis, in Tennessee. Obviously, we know the laws there allow you to have a gun even without a permit. And there's no law against being an idiot and flashing it on social media. So for people who say 20 to 25 games is more than enough, I I, I can't argue with that argument. At the same time, though, let me also say this. I personally, if you ask me which way I lean, I would definitely say that 25 games probably is not enough. And I actually would have liked to see it double to 50. And let me explain why. First of all, for the people who say, oh, he didn't break any laws, he didn't break any code of conduct. Let me just, let me just get this out of the way. You can agree or disagree. The bottom line is, no, he did not break the league's code of conduct. I get it. He did not break a law. I get it. But at the same time, there is like a dumb tax that he has to be held accountable for. And at the same time, while he didn't break any laws or, or league code of conduct, the NBA is a private organization, and I think we would all sort of kind of agree that it probably doesn't look good for the NBA to have one of its foremost faces of the entire organization flashing a gun on social media. And so you can tell me it didn't break the law. You can tell me it didn't break the code of conduct. But at the end of the day, everybody knows that as you advance in life, as you get to have a more high profile job, as you get paid as though you have a more high-profile job, you also have more high-profile responsibilities. In a lot of ways, you know what this reminds me of? What do we always talk about with the NFL? The NFL's main goal is to protect the shield. Well, the NBA's main goal is to protect that Jerry West logo. It's to protect the NBA. And so think about if you're the NBA star, face of one of one of the big faces that you plan on building the next 10 years around. And you know what else that a lot of people haven't talked about? The NBA is in the middle of a media rights deal where they're negotiating for billions of dollars. You think it looks good for the NBA to have one of their young stars? Again, a guy that you would think that ESPN, Turner, whomever gets that next TV package is going to want to build around. You think it looks good for them to say, yeah, you know, TNT, get ready to put John Moran on TV on a Thursday night. Do you think TNT wants that? You think ESPN wants that? Of course not. And that, to me, is part of this as well. Don't tell me, oh, 25 is enough. He didn't break a law. I get it. But he is still an employee of a private organization, and he does have a responsibility to his employers to act with more discretion. If you want to carry a gun, I disagree with it. If you want to flash a gun, I even disagree with that, obviously. But just don't do it on social media. Just don't embarrass your employer. We're going to talk about it in a minute with Bob Huggins. Don't embarrass Bob Huggins employer just went to bat for him a month ago after the first incident. Don't embarrass your employer, which is exactly what John Morant did. Here's why I also believe the 25 games probably wasn't enough. I don't really know if 25 games is going to teach John Morant the lessons that he needs to learn out of this whole situation. And I know I'm just a guy with a podcast, with a radio show, some contacts in sports. I don't know John Morant. And I don't know if he's truly um, apologetic this time, if he truly feels terrible, all this, all that. But at the same time, you know how I kind of get the sense that John Morant still does not get the severity of what he did? It's because am I the only one that remembers that literally a week ago, John Morant and his camp were trying to argue, oh, it wasn't a real gun. It was a fake gun. It was just all a big joke. So if you're arguing a week ago that it was a fake gun, why are you apologizing to us on Friday when the suspension comes down? Oh, because it wasn't a fake gun. Because it was a real gun. And this is the part that drives me crazy as a consumer of sports and somebody who talks about it. This is what drives me crazy. John Morant and his camp think we're idiots. Because the first time around, remember what John Moran said? Oh, I went to therapy. I dealt with my issues. That is so insulting to anyone who works in the therapy field, is around therapy, mental health, whatever. He went to, he claimed he went to therapy for two days. For two days. That doesn't solve anything. That doesn't fix anything, okay? And I've said it a million times. I'm sympathetic to mental health. My wife works in mental health. My sister works in mental health. My sister-in-law works in mental health. Don't insult everybody with that. And then you have the nerve to insult us by saying, oh, it was a fake gun. It was a fake gun. It wasn't a real gun. Well, if it was a fake gun, then stand by that. But it obviously wasn't because you're apologizing two or three weeks later. And so to me, you suspend John Morant 25 games. Guess what happens? He's back by Christmas, and I'm not really sure that he learned all that much. And here's the other thing that you have to consider as well. John Morant can appeal that suspension. So John Morant, in theory, it's 25. It might be down to 18 or 20 or 15 by the time this thing is all said and done. And so did he really learn anything? If the suspension is 15 games and he's back by December 1st, if the suspension is 20 games and he's back by December 15th, probably not. And so that's why to me, I would have gone with 50 games, not because he's the worst human being in the world, not because he can't learn his lesson, but, but because he does have a lesson to learn. That he can't keep acting like this. That he can't keep behaving like this. That he's embarrassing his employer. That he's embarrassing his family. That he's embarrassing himself. And then if it gets appealed down to 25 games or 30 games, then you still got the suspension that you wanted. But to me, you have to send a stronger message because John Morant has to understand the consequences of his actions. And I go back to what I said a few weeks ago when this incident first happened. I'm not saying that a young man is not allowed to carry a gun. By the way, we'll talk about this with Bob Huggins in a minute. I'm not saying Bob Huggins isn't allowed to have a drink. But if you're Bob Huggins, when you get behind the wheel, you're putting yourself in danger and you're putting everybody else in danger as well. And it's the same with John Morant. And this is the part that drives me crazy. It's not just about John Morant. It is about the fact that every time that he messes with a gun like it's a toy. Listen, I'm not a gun person, okay? But I don't judge anybody who is. But the one thing I respect about people that understand guns and respect guns is guns are not toys. Guns are not a a prop for social media. And if Ja keeps screwing around like this, one of three things is going to happen and it's all bad. Either he's going to hurt himself. He's going to hurt somebody that he cares about because, again, a gun is not a toy. Or I think in a worst case scenario, somebody is going to hurt him because you pull out that gun at the wrong time. Bad things are going to happen a little bit disappointed in the NBA, but listen, as a guy who's been crushing Adam Silver for years, I think he's too soft. I think he's too afraid of the players. I'm not that surprised. Like I said, I would have given him 50 and been happy if it got appealed down to 30. If you want to argue 25 is enough, that's fine. I just disagree. All right, really quick. There was one other NBA topic uh, from this weekend. And and again, we don't do a ton of NBA, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But there was a pretty big trade as Bradley Beal, formerly of the Washington Wizards, ended up getting traded to the Phoenix Suns. And like I said, just going to spend a minute on this. Um, It's another one. I, I, I have takes, but I don't think they're that strong. So for people who don't really follow the NBA or don't know much about it, Brad Beal was obviously, you know, former lottery pick, played one year for Billy Donovan at Florida. That was like one of the last years that Billy Donovan was at Florida. He's been a really good player, averaged as much as 31 points per game uh, throughout his career, three-time NBA All-Star. And he gets traded to Phoenix for Chris Paul and a, a bunch of picks and a bunch of this and a bunch of that. And all I'll really say is it's an interesting move. It's a fun move because I think everybody thought that the Suns had to make a move after losing in the second round of the playoffs. I'm just not really sure it really moves the needle for me at all under any circumstances let me explain why it's because what does this do what and let me even take it a step further what was the problem with the Suns this year the problem with the Suns was not that they needed more scoring it was that they needed more depth they needed more bodies they needed more guys that they could play remember during the play like like even in the first round Kawhi Leonard gets hurt Paul George isn't playing what ends up happening The Suns get pushed by the Clippers without anybody because they had no bodies. Kevin Durant's playing 44, 45 minutes a game. Devin Booker's playing 44, 45 minutes a game. They needed more bodies. They traded away all their depth to get Kevin Durant. And so why this trade doesn't really move the needle for me is you traded more of your depth to get Bradley Beal. And so it doesn't really solve the problem that you had. You just got another score that you're going to have to play 47 minutes a game in a playoff game to beat Denver, to beat the Lakers, to beat the Clippers, to beat whomever. And so I can't get that excited about it because you know what this honestly reminds me of? Do you remember what Kevin Durant did the last time he had his own team? He was in Brooklyn and he demanded a trade for James Harden and he had Kyrie Irving already there. It was a super fun big three. It was a fun hypothetical. It was cool to see it all play out. And it led to a grand total of one playoff series win before it was all said and done. Fast forward, that that whole thing breaks up. James Harden demands a trade. Kyrie Irving demands a trade. The rest is history. I don't think Devin Booker or Bradley Beal is going to be like that. They're, They're not the same dudes as James Harden and Kyrie Irving. But at the same time, there's really no precedent to have three elite, elite players have no depth behind them and win. Think about the Denver Nuggets wasn't just Jokic and murray it was aaron gordon and michael porter and christian brown and bruce brown and contavious caldwell pope the heat the sum was obviously greater than the parts i don't think three superstars and nobody else wins you all that much in the nba but obviously we'll see what moves are there there are to be made i know a lot of people are speculating that deandre ayton could be the next name on his way out and if you could get depth from that then that's a different conversation but forgive me I'm just not that moved by Bradley Beal going to Phoenix. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. We did the NBA stuff. It's time to get back to our bread and butter college hoops. We're talking about Bob Huggins. He's fired. What's next for West Virginia? Also, oh, by the way, should Kentucky, which had an injury to its starting center this weekend, I know he's a forward, he's not really a center, but you get the point. Should Kentucky pursue West Virginia's top center, Jesse Edwards? Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we'll get back to the show in a minute, but before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. The NBA playoffs are here, and nobody has you covered quite like Betfred. By now, you know Betfred's story, started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,200 shops in the UK. They have since come to the United States and made a major splash. They are not only the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast and all things Aaron Torres Media, but also... The Cincinnati Bengals, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. And what I love about Betfred Sportsbook is that nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. You've seen the Betfred Sportsbook suite at Bengals games. It is hopping. We have sent listeners of this show to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred Sportsbook does. And here is what they are doing for the NBA playoffs. How about this for a deal? bet $50 on any game all playoffs long get up to $1111 in free bets here's how it works download the betfred sportsbook app bet $50 on any game you automatically get $111 in free bets but beyond that here is what else betfred does for you they're going to give you up to $200 in insurance for the first five weeks that you're a betfred customer so Maybe you make a bad pick. We all do. We've all been there. Trust me. You followed my picks in March Madness. It happens. So you bet $200. does not work out. Get 200 insurance for the first five weeks that you are a Betfred customer, equating up to $1,111 in free bets thanks to Betfred. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred does. Love working with them. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod. Tell them Torres sent you. Download the Betford Sportsbook app right now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy
0: discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Revoid. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi,
1: right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears. Um, and unfortunately, I want to talk about another very serious topic from over the course of the weekend. I think you guys, guys, and girls know where I'm going with this one. I'm, of course, talking about Bob Huggins, legendary West Virginia basketball coach, 69 years old. On Friday night, got arrested for a DUI. And by now, I think everybody knows the details. But arrested for a DUI. It came just a few months after he made that homophobic slur on radio. At that point, many believed that he should be fired for the slur. West Virginia stood by him, basically put him on a zero-tolerance policy. Well, on Friday night, he gets arrested. On Friday night, he gets a DUI. And by late Saturday, he had officially resigned as the head coach of West Virginia basketball, essentially bringing a sad end to a Hall of Fame career. Just a couple really quick thoughts on the Bob Huggins stuff, and then I do want to look forward. Um, But let me start with Bob Huggins' The person, the man, the whatever. And I'm not claiming that I know him or, or I'm going to psychoanalyze him or anything like that. As a matter of fact, generally, if you listen to this show, you guys and girls know I'm actually the exact opposite. I am not a moralist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not perfect. I have made mistakes. I am far from a perfect human being. Um, and I don't, I try not to judge others for the decisions they make and the situations that they find themselves in because, again, I'm far from a perfect person. At the same time, When you read the details of this arrest, it's pretty jarring, right? So 0.21 blood alcohol level, that's twice the legal limit. They found empty beer cans in his front seat and in his trunk. Failed multiple field sobriety tests. On top of that, literally did not know what city he was in according to the police report. This is all according to the police report. This isn't something I read on a message board. It's not rumor. It's not innuendo. This is from the police report. Didn't know what city he was in. Couldn't explain why he would be in Pittsburgh. And so when I look at this situation, to me, it's clear that Bob Huggins should not be the representative of West Virginia basketball, the university, the athletic department, or anything. And as a matter of fact, I, I, I think he shouldn't be coaching basketball at all at this point. I think he needs to get help. I'm not a moralist. I'm not perfect. I'm not a substance abuse expert. Okay. That's not what I'm saying here. But at the same time, when I look at this situation, this is what I see: if an adult, if a grown man wants to have beverages or a grown woman, that is absolutely a thousand percent their prerogative. I'm not here to judge. But at the same time, there is never, there's never an excuse, never an excuse. And I know you guys and girls know this. I'm just saying, there's never an excuse to get behind the wheel. And so I don't even care that you were so drunk you didn't know what city you were in. I don't care that anything that you were doing, who you were hanging out, that doesn't matter to me. You're 69 years old. You'd make your own decisions. You cannot get behind a wheel. And to me, that is why he should no longer be the West Virginia basketball coach. It is because he clearly, one, has no respect for his employers. Remember, he's on a zero-strike policy from the last incident that he has. If he felt threatened, if he felt scared, if he cared... He probably would have been smarter with his actions. He clearly has no self. He clearly has no respect for other pedestrians and the people that he put in danger. And then three. I don't even know if he has self respect for himself at this point, knowing everything that's on the line and putting himself in this situation. I'm not a ther- I'm not a, a, a substance abuse counselor. I'm not an expert, but it is clear he probably should not be the head coach at West Virginia. And I do hope whatever help he needs that he gets. Um, and I hope he lives a, a a safe and happy and healthy rest of his life. I do think, by the way, this is the end. I had a, a lot of comments on Saturday on my social media of, oh, you know, all these guys get another opportunity and blah blah blah. And first of all, you guys and girls know my stance on this. If somebody else wants to go hire him, that's fine. West Virginia really had no choice. And in some ways, I actually give West Virginia, I actually give Bob Huggins a tiny bit of credit for saving his saving what's the right way I'm trying to say this, having the self-respect to avoid confrontation with his state university, with the school that he went to, with the school that he loves. He resigned so the school didn't have to fire him. Now, if somebody else wants to hire him, that's fine, but he's 69 years old. This is his second DUI. Remember he got one when he was the head coach at Cincinnati. And so my hunch, and oh, by the way, he, he was like literally potentially about to retire. There was conversations going into this off season that this might have been his last NCAA tournament run, that this might be his last year at West Virginia. So I don't think this is a Chris Beard does something alleged to have done something dumb. Let me put it that way. Um, I don't think this is Chris Beard alleged to have done something dumb and then ends up coaching six months later or a year later. This doesn't strike me as Bob Huggins taking off, a year off doing the apology tour and then showing up at fill-in-the-blank school. I do think this is the end. It is sad. Um, and I I think we're going to remember the incredible times with Bob Huggins. He had some incredible teams at Cincinnati. Um, I remember 1999, UConn wins its first national championship. They beat Duke in the title game. Duke was the number one team in the country all year. The only other team to beat him that season was Cincinnati. Bob Huggins had it rolling, Bob Huggins had it going, um, had that one year at Kansas State where basically all the success that Kansas State has had over the last 15 years is a direct reflection of the one year that they had Bob Huggins as its head coach. And of course, a lot of great memories for West Virginia fans with Bob Huggins as the head coach, including the Final Four. I believe this is probably the last that we've seen him on a sideline at a major university, so I do wish him well. Uh, and, And if he deems he needs help, I hope he gets it, but I think that's the end couple follow ups to that because obviously look bob huggins the human being and then of course you know all of the, the the serious real life stuff that was around this story that's obviously the headlines but i do think it is worth looking ahead as to what is next at west virginia it was interesting you read multiple reports about what is going on there right now again bob huggins retired and resigned effective immediately on saturday and now right now i think there's a little bit of uncertainty over what is going to happen on the one hand first of all let me say this whenever the job is officially open and they're full speed ahead i do believe they're going to get a nice candidate pool for that job big 12 is the best conference of college basketball it pays millions of dollars and probably most importantly this offseason a lot of the buzz about west virginia was that they had their collective ducks in a row They had a strong NIL setup and NIL program. And West Virginia, I don't know if they're at the forefront, but they're in very good shape. And I do think as head coaches, as we move on in this NIL world, where are your collectives at? Where is your NIL program at? That is an important part with these decisions and with deciding what schools you want to go to. So when West Virginia opens, I think they'll get a pretty good candidate. Let me also say this, though. There were a bunch of reports on Saturday night and Sunday, including from Pete Thamel, ESPN, that said that West Virginia like wants to make a permanent hire like right now. And I actually think that's a terrible idea for two reasons. One, I think it's actually going to be hard to get a good candidate right now. Now, I know I just said it's a great job. People are going to flock to it. But think about where we are on the calendar. It's June 19th right now, okay? It's June 19th. Most every college in America has all of its players back on campus. So, yes, is somebody going to take the job? Absolutely. But is it going to be the guy that you want? I don't know. Because to hire somebody right now as a full time permanent replacement for Bob Huggins, that guy is going to have to walk into his locker room in June, the players that he recruited to where he is right now, and say, guys, I'm leaving. And I think that's an important part. Like, players are on campus. Guys are on campus. The 2023-2024 season has kind of unofficially begun. And so to get somebody right now is to get them to leave a roster that they've built with players on campus right now. I don't know who is going to do that. The other reason that I would not pursue a full-time head coach right now And by the way, I'm recording here about 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. So stuff could change. The other reason I wouldn't is because you have a very good team right now in West Virginia, ready for the 2023-2024 season. And the longer you wait, the longer this coaching search goes on, the more likely it is that a lot of those guys elect to transfer. John Rothstein reported on Sunday that all of the players will have 30 days to enter the portal and be immediately eligible. You start goofing off and leaving those guys uncertain going forward, they're going to leave, and they're going to look at their options if they are not already. Again, as I'm recording, nothing has happened, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to. And as a matter of fact, I saw a report on Saturday night from a West Virginia radio host that said that he heard upwards of eight players could enter the transfer portal come Monday, and you're talking about uh, you, you thought you thought Torres was done talking about the transfer portal. It appears as though I might still be going here into July, and so you look at the players that are available. Jesse Edwards, all ACC center from Syracuse, transferred into West Virginia. Kirk Risa led the Pac-12 and assists back-to-back years at Arizona. He's at West Virginia now. Raquan Battle, leading scorer on Montana State NCAA tournament team. He's at West Virginia. Couple players back from last year's NCAA tournament team at West Virginia. So this could be like like this could be its own new wave of transfer portal craziness if these players decide to go. And that is why I think you need to name the interim head coach from on this staff and hope that he can retain this roster as is this is an ncaa tournament roster this might even be a second week ncaa tournament roster you start goofing off though you start goofing off and waiting and this and that those guys all have options and they're going to start to look around really quickly before we get off west virginia there is one little very interesting twist very interesting twist um from a basketball perspective to this west virginia stuff and again There's real-world stuff going on with Bob Huggins, and I'm not trying to undersell it. But as I just said, all of these players can transfer and be eligible immediately. And what I want to do now is talk about one very interesting scenario that has popped up here over the last couple days. And it stems from a place that we talk about a lot on this show, the University of Kentucky. And I've got a lot of pushback the last couple weeks. Torres, you talk about Kentucky too much. Well, one... There's really not that much else going on right now. And two, it's been a crazy few months in Kentucky. And we've talked about it, and you don't need me to get into it. But this was a team that basically, right now, they added another high school player this week named Joey Hart. Really good shooter, all that good stuff. But I bring it up because right now, they are going into the season. The roster that they have right now, seven freshmen, two sophomores. That's all they have right now. Now, they're probably going to add an eighth freshman this week but it doesn't change the fact that this is going to be the youngest team in college basketball unless they make major moves. Now, we'll see what happens with Antonio Reeves, their starting shooting guard, who's currently in classes trying to graduate at Illinois State to be a grad transfer. But why I bring it up, there was something very interesting that happened this weekend, and there is a now West Virginia twist to it. And that story is that in an offseason where John Calipari couldn't take any more bad news, Kentucky actually got maybe the worst news that they possibly could have on Friday afternoon. And I did a YouTube exclusive video you can go back and check out. But Aaron Bradshaw, seven foot one center, McDonald's All American. Remember, the reason Kentucky couldn't get any players in the portal was because the freshman class was so good. Well, Aaron Bradshaw, seven foot one center, it's reported by Shams Tarania of The Athletic, very good NBA reporter. That Aaron Bradshaw has suffered a foot fracture and that he's going to need surgery and is out for the foreseeable future. Now, where it gets interesting is a few things is Aaron Bradshaw, um, excuse me, uh, there were reports after that injury kind of was, you know, kind of acknowledged as, as a thing. So Aaron, um, Bradshaw, according to some reports could be out four to six months because of this injury. Now, what's interesting is, and I'm not questioning the reporting. Jack Pilgrim, my buddy, who I think is as good of a beat reporter as there is in America right now, um, said four to six months. I'm not questioning him, but there was a separate report where it's where 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 somebody else said it's four to six weeks in which Aaron Bradshaw should be back. Something that he then sort of confirmed on social media. He said something to the effect of like, you know, uh, uh you know. Smart, you know, some guy posted, it's a four to six week injury. He said, smart man, whatever. So why I bring it up, starting center, not a lot of depth in the front court. Starting forward, whatever. I don't know if he's a center whatever. Starting forward, not a lot of depth in the front court. Gets hurt. And we have no real timetable on when he's going to come back. And so I bring it up and people are, you're probably sitting there saying, what does this have to do with West Virginia? Well, on Sunday morning, Father's Day. I decided to put out a tweet just to gauge, put, a, put dip a little toe in the water, just to see the reaction of Kentucky's fan base to to a proposal that I had, and the proposal is basically this: Jesse Edwards, as I mentioned, play was a played at Syracuse the last three years, transferred to West Virginia this off season, was an All ACC center at West Virginia or at Syracuse, and my question, very simply, was this. If you, if Kentucky were to pursue Jesse Edwards and they could get him, but it meant that Aaron Bradshaw, because of either the injury or because of the roster situation, never played a moment of basketball at Kentucky. I said, would you take it if you could get Jesse Edwards, all ACC forward, but it guarantees that this kid does not come back to play this year because of this injury. Would you take that trade? I will say this. I put that out on Twitter and it got about as much of a 50-50 reaction as I possibly could have imagined. And so what I want to do now is read some of the responses to this question. I'll read you the exact tweet. The exact tweet that I sent out on Sunday afternoon, I said, hypothetical question for Kentucky fans out there. If you could get West Virginia transfer Jesse Edwards, but it means that currently injured Five-star freshman Aaron Bradshaw never plays a game for you. Would you take it? Comment below. Curious for your thoughts on this one. So here is just a smattering of some of the responses that I got. At last check, it was about 41 responses, seven or eight quote tweets. Here is the response to that question. If you could get Jesse Edwards from West Virginia, but it means that five-star freshman Aaron Bradshaw would never play a game for you. Would you take it? Here are some of the comments. Tyler. Sure. Would absolutely take it. Kentucky update. Uh, no. If anyone says yes, they're lying. Draftcat says, y'all could end bad take Torres by simply blocking him. Don't think he really understood the full exercise. Also, shout out to Draftcats for basically saying, you should block me while also sharing my content, which, oh, by the way, was very engaging because there was a lot of interest in it, but neither here nor there. Let's keep going with some of the other responses. Danny Davis said, give me Edwards, please. Cody Lockhart said, in a heartbeat, a proven, experienced, talented player versus a potentially injured freshman whose best days of basketball are years down the road. Easy choice for me. Nick McCardo, respectfully, clearly did not understand the question. He said, let's just play Jesse Edwards at the five and Bradshaw at the four. Well, that wasn't the question. Alex Weber says, no, not a chance. Bradshaw, a hundred times out of a hundred. And so I bring it up because just listening to those responses, it is very clear that there is a very 50-50 split on if Kentucky should even pursue this guy and if they could get him, but it means that it's possible that you lose Aaron Bradshaw. It's a fascinating question. There seems to be a, a wild responses. And let me finish with one final response. Clay Mason says, yes, you take him. And then he followed up with this. Has another coach been held hostage by agents, clingers, advisors as much and as badly as John Calipari? Get guys who want to and will play. No more Shaden Sharps, Jared Vanderbilt's, Terrence Clarks. Quit caving to agents. And so that's where it gets interesting because there are really two layers to this question going forward. To be clear, I would take Jesse Edwards. To me, it's not even that difficult of a question. And it's for a lot of the reasons that people said, including Cody Lockhart, who said proven experience talent versus potentially injured freshman. On the one hand, you're getting, and this is under the hypothetical that Kentucky wants him, that he wants to go to Kentucky. I don't know if they're recruiting him, but I think it's a fun hypothetical. Why I bring it up. If it was up to me, zero doubt in my mind, I would pursue Edwards, even if it meant Aaron Aaron Bradshaw never plays a minute for me. Jesse Edwards is a proven, established college big man at both ends of the court. 15 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, three blocks per game in the ACC last year. Now, he's playing at Syracuse. They weren't very good, so you might not be familiar with his game. He is a very good college basketball player. If you can get that guy this late in the process, I don't even think it's up for debate. And then I don't think it's up for debate because right now, the Aaron Bradshaw injury it's very weird. And if it if it was a definitive four to six weeks and okay, he's going to be ready to go by August, that's a lot different than four to six months and he'll maybe be ready by December. And that to me is the weird part behind this and it's something that Clay Mason brought up in his tweet. He said, has any other coach been held hostage by agents, clingers, and advisors as much and as badly as Calipari? Why do I bring it up? It's because... There's clearly something weird going on with Aaron Bradshaw's recruitment and his situation at Kentucky. For people who do not follow this on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year basis, this kid was committed, signed, ready to go, and then all of a sudden, there started to be some rumors that maybe he was ready to decommit. Maybe he didn't want to come to Kentucky in the first place. Maybe he wanted to go to USC. Now, I didn't talk about it at the time, because this all happened when I was on vacation uh, in early May, but I can tell you for a fact... That was 100% leaked by somebody close to Aaron Bradshaw. My assumption is his agency, Clutch, which is, of course, Rich Paul, LeBron's friend. I know it because, I'll be honest, I kind of snooped around this, and I can tell you USC was like, we don't know anything about this situation. And as a matter of fact, my understanding was it actually created a little bit of friction at USC because their players were seeing it and saying, wait a second now, Are you bringing in somebody in May and June to replace us? And so I bring it up because there's something weird going on with this recruitment. Now there's an injury where he says four to six weeks, but somebody else is saying four to six months. And it does feel like this could be one of those deals where a player kind of, I hate to say it, potentially, do you want to call it nursing an injury? I don't know if that's the right word to put it, but you go through the years and there's been some weird stuff at Kentucky. Listen, I hate to to speak poorly of, of anybody, but Jared Vanderbilt, who's playing in the NBA with the Lakers now, it was a weird back and forth. Is he healthy? Is he not? He comes back for one game, then he disappears again, and nobody knows what's going on. Terrence Clark, the late Terrence Clark, I hate to say it. He was a great kid. I interviewed him a couple times. Sweetest kid I've ever met. But there was a point in that season where he was saying he was hurt, and John Calipari literally in a press conference said, he's been cleared by our doctors. I don't even know what's going on. And so now you have another situation with another weird injury, with a kid that has been having some weird stuff going on anyway. I wish Aaron Bradshaw well. I hope he comes back and he's 100%. It's not even up for debate. What I do think if you're Kentucky, you have to start looking at other options. And I don't think there was really another option available as of 48 hours ago. But right now, there absolutely is. And if I was Kentucky, I'd move full speed ahead with Jesse Edwards. Don't know if you can get him. Don't know if he's interested. Don't know if he's staying. Don't know if he'd go somewhere else if he doesn't stay at West Virginia. But I'd go full speed ahead and say, we got a wide open spot in our starting front court. Come here. Be great. You're going to play with great guards. And you see what happens from there. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back. And when I come back, uh, one last college sports story that I do want to get to. As New twist in the big 12 expansion rumors just when you thought this stuff was starting to slow down i think it's actually starting to heat up gonna take a quick break we'll be right back
0: it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All
1: right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with, frankly, um, a topic that I'll be blunt. Like, like, I'm not even saying it to brag or to be arrogant or to be cocky. But I want to end with a topic that I think we've done about as good of a job as covering as anybody in the media and that is Big 12 realignment and Big 12 expansion. If you've listened to this show, I think you're getting information ahead of everybody else. I think you're getting information that nobody else is getting. And then, especially early in the month, there were things I was saying two, three weeks out that were then reported two, three weeks later by all the big J mainstream media outlets. Okay, Not here to pat myself on the back, though, but what I will say (laughs) is uh, as far as realignment is concerned, There really has been one question that I continue to get more than any other question about this realignment stuff. And the question is pretty straightforward. Okay, Torres, enough about this report, that report. I don't really care about all that. When do you think something is actually going to happen? When do you think movement is going to be made? And if you've listened to this show, if you follow me on social media, I've been pretty consistent. I have said I believe that there is going to be major moves by the end of this month, by June 30th into July 1st. Now, the question becomes, why June 30th? What's so important on June 30th? Well, it is actually a little-known clause involving San Diego State and its athletic department. San Diego State, listen, it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, program in this whole process because it's clear that both the Pac-12 wants them and the Big 12 wants them. But where it gets interesting, and I've said this a few times on this show, is that on June 30th, so in other words, literally what? 11 days from now. San Diego State has a clause in its contract with the Mountain West, where if they're to leave the Mountain West, they would have to pay $30 plus million in an exit fee, about $34 million in total. If they leave before June 30th or really before July 1st, so June 30th or before, they would have to pay half of it. And so I've said June 30th is the day everybody's got to make moves because San Diego State's got to be out the door. They got to have the offices packed. They got to do this. They got to do that. So why do I bring it up? It was because on Friday, we got a very, very, very interesting report from Pete Thamel with ESPN. Essentially, San Diego State's back is against the wall and they're scrambling. Here is what Pete Thamel essentially reported. It is that over the course of the last week or two, San Diego State has essentially sent the Mountain West a letter requesting an extra 30 days on top of that June 30th to figure out its future. Basically saying like, we know we ought to be out by June 30th, but we don't really have an invite to the Big 12 and we don't really have an invite to the Pac-12 at this specific moment. And so because of it, is it all possible that you could give us another 30 days to figure it out? And where it gets interesting, this is a very public, very interesting back and forth. San Diego State sends that letter. The Mountain West basically says... Uh, yeah, screw you guys, no, you can't get the extension, and the Mountain West took it a step further. They started the process of actually trying to kick San Diego State out of the league to basically get them out. And so then last week, San Diego State had to send a second letter saying, no, 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 we're not officially leaving. We just wanted to know if we do decide to leave, if we can get an extra month to figure it all out. And so it was a very public back and forth. It was very fascinating. By the way, shout out to San Diego State, because essentially what San Diego State did was this. San Diego State was basically the husband or the wife that's getting a divorce and has already found a new partner and is like, uh, yeah, I know I'm leaving you for somebody else, but our house isn't really ready yet. So, so, So can me and the new wife, can me and the new husband, can we just crash the house for a little bit longer? Like that is essentially what San Diego State did on a very public platform. But what it says to me, pretty straightforward this realignment stuff is dragging along it's not going as quickly as i expected or a lot of the insiders expected and after making some phone calls over the weekend talking to some people that i trust um i think we're in for a very interesting next couple weeks from both the big 12 and the Pac 12 and so now the question becomes like and and, and this is really what i want to get to with the crux of this conversation is like well, Torres, what's, like, what, what's taking so long? Like, What is going on that is holding this whole process up? And as best I can tell, talking to multiple people, I think it's really two things. One, it is from the Pac-12's perspective. And it's funny with the Pac-12 because I've kind of joked, if you follow this stuff day in and day out, I've kind of joked, like, I don't think the Pac-12 really has a plan. I think their plan is just to say publicly, oh, yeah we're two weeks away from having a TV deal and then just keep saying it every two weeks. Oh, no, 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 we're two weeks away. We're two weeks away. Give us two more weeks. Give us two more weeks. And I think their thought is like, like if we just keep extending this thing, let's hope everybody forgets it. We just, whatever. Just just gonna go on in perpetuity until the end of time that there is no Pac-12 TV deal. And so I've joked about that, but essentially I think that's a lot of what's going on right now is that the Pac-12 keeps guaranteeing, hey, we're gonna be on par with the Big 12. We might even be better than the Big 12. Just give us time to get out to cross the T's and dots the I's, and we're going to figure this all out. And so it's put a lot of these Pac-12 schools in a tough spot. If you're Colorado, which very publicly is ready to leave for the Big 12, if you're Arizona, which I think is a little bit further down the, the, down the, 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 the process than people think, you're kind of in this tough spot because you're ready to move. You have a legitimate great alternative option. But you also can't really leave until you actually see some real numbers from the Pac-12. Like, you can't be Colorado or Arizona and say, we're leaving, there's too much instability, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, the Pac-12 pulls a rabbit out of their hat, they get you a great TV deal, and those schools are making more money than the Big 12 is. And so Colorado's kind of in this weird holding pattern where I think they're ready to leave, but they're like, I got to see some numbers. Because if the Big 12 is offering whatever it is, $34, 35000000 And the Pac-12 gets us 45, like we have to, we would have to stay at that point. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I don't believe the Pac-12 has any real options. I'm just saying that if you're Colorado and Arizona, you have to be cautious there. I also think the other thing that's worth considering, it does feel like this entire process has completely slowed down since the Big 12 presidents met a few weeks ago in West Virginia. And if you remember, it was at the same time as the SEC meetings, and you had all those big Nick Saban quotes, and Hugh Freeze is talking about this, and Brian Kelly's talking about that. But I said, watch the Big 12, because the Big 12 is actually where the intrigue is going to happen, and that's frankly where it was. But it feels like the process has slowed down, and and I think I know why. Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, he's an East Coast. Worked in an agency. He is a full speed ahead, a million miles an hour kind of guy. I think if it was completely up to him, if it was he had no, if he was the sole decision maker, invites would be out, decisions would be made by now. Where it gets complicated is Brett Yormark ultimately works for the ten school presidents of the Big Twelve. I guess twelve now, if you include you know the four new schools: Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and, and UCF. And so, where I think it gets a little complicated is. You now have 12 new cooks in the kitchen, 12 new people with the decision. And I don't think there's a grand slam home run alternative for the big 12. If you're the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma, like it's no doubt they want to come. You got to take them because it completely changes your TV contract to get that much more money. It's the same for USC and UCLA in the big 10 when they left the pac 12. But if you're the big 12, you're really expanding for the sake of stability more than you are that you're going to get a boatload more money. And I say that, by the way, as somebody who has a, a... I'm an alumnus of a school that is considering the Big 12 or the Big 12 is considering them. is probably the right way to put it. But if you're the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma aren't out there. USC and UCLA aren't out there. So is it really worth... For Is it unanimous among the 12 school presidents? We have to bring in Colorado. We have to bring in UConn. We have to bring in San Diego State. We have to bring in Gonzaga, which doesn't have a football team. And then there's all those other ancillary things as well. Does a UConn, does a San Diego State that's coming from the non-quote-unquote power five structure, do they get a full share? Do they get the same money we do? Or do they do they take less to come? And so these are all the questions that are starting to get figured out. Um, and I don't know. This is the first time I can genuinely say, I don't know when we're going to get an answer to all this. I really don't. Now, what I would say is most of everything that I have said before, I'm going to stand by with one little caveat. One, I've said that I believe the two most likely schools from the Pac-12 to leave are Colorado and Arizona. It's clear to me that Arizona State wants to stay in the Pac-12. It's clear to me that Utah, I don't get the sense, is totally in love with going to a conference where their rival BYU is. Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, Stanford might have no better options at this point. And really, Washington and Oregon seem to be waiting on a Big 12, Big Ten invite that I don't know if it's coming. So I think the Pac-12 stays together. I still think Colorado and Arizona are the most likely schools. I still think eventually, if the Big 12 decides to expand, UConn is in the mix. The only thing that I would say has really changed, talking to a lot of people, it seems as though San Diego State really wants the PAC 12. Now that's not what I would advise them because I don't know if the PAC 12 is going to exist in 10 years, but that appears to be what they want. And so I've thought that the big 12 made more sense for them, not geographically, but from a comfort and safety and, uh, you know, long-term viability standpoint, but it appears as though they are pushing for this PAC 12 bid. We'll see if it comes by the way, for people who are asking, why isn't San Diego state gotten a bid? It appears as though to me that the Pac-12 is waiting until the TV deal is done before extending additional invites. And then on the flip side, if you, you are the big 12, I think you're waiting to see what the Pac-12 does before you just take San Diego State. But yeah, very interesting twist in a very interesting story. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I think it's time for me to get out of here. By the way, a lot of ground that we covered today. We talked... Bob Huggins recruiting, uh, uh, John ja Morant, a lot of ground cover, and, of course, the Big 12. By the way, it just shows the versatility of this show and why you guys and girls, I think, enjoy it. Because it seems as though a lot of you are checking in, uh, especially in these these uh, summer months. So, first of all, it goes without saying, thank you guys and girls for your incredible support. Numbers continue to be amazing here in June into July. Uh, And we're going to ramp up a lot of football these next couple weeks and next couple months, and it is officially go time. But thank you guys and girls for your support. It is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Pod, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. By the way, do me a favor. Tag a friend, tell – what does Pat McAfee say? Be a friend, tell a friend. How about you tag a friend, tell a friend that you're getting good information here that you wouldn't anywhere else. Tell your friends uh, and all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribed on, on, on uh, Apple, Spotify, the YouTube channel, 23,000 plus subscribers. So thank you all for your support there. Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It's time for me to go. Thank you guys and girls for listening. Shout out to Dorn Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And of course, again, shout out to my son JJ Reddick. Uh being your daddy. It, it has it, it's been a challenge, but it's been a fun one. So thank you to JJ. I'll be back on Wednesday, new episode of the Air Tours Pod. Take care, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah.